Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. Spooky. Uh, uh, I'm Jay, the Crypt Keeper. Yeah! And I'm Shana. I don't, I didn't think of a funny Halloween name. I'll have one next time. <laughs> Uh, for our first movie, kicking off the 2021 Spooky Stacks, uh, we're talking about Knife Plus Heart, the uh, 2018 Jan Gonzalez film. This movie, I don't know what I was expecting from this movie, but it's not what I got. So it's, uh, I, I describe it as a neon queer giallo. Uh, and so this, I think, is the first giallo you've seen, correct? Probably. Um, define for the listeners at home, certainly not me, because I know what it is. What is a giallo for them? Uh, you know, it, that that's the thing. It is kind of a hard thing to define, but like there's a lot of genre conventions that are used. It, it's sort of the European predecessor to the slasher. Uh, and ah. a lot of the same conventions uh, appear in slasher films, but usually the giallo, uh, there's an unknown killer, usually not of a specifically supernatural nature, although uh, often some sort of magic will surround them. They'll usually wear all black. Uh, gender is very uncertain, uh, and that's always an that that's kind of always a theme with Jalo, but uh, kind of more brought to the surface in this case. I see. I see. Is what the listeners at home who'd be listening, to <laughs> hearing about this for the first time, would be saying. Usually, very uh, expressive visuals. Uh, that's kind of just a thing with Euro horror. Uh, the, it tends to be much more visually dynamic uh, than American horror because. You know, that's usually made more on the cheap and it's to uh, sell product uh, to children where uh, the, the Euro stuff is kind of headier and a little bit weirder. I do uh, think it's weird that American horror is meant to sell things to kids because it's weird. films aren't well, it's really teens. meant to be for kids. Yeah. But oh, like, well, okay. It's like very specifically a teen audience and usually kind of... Uh, younger than the audience that's directly allowed to see the films at the time of their release, right? Oh, but everybody knows, like, everybody has seen, you can all name a, a horror movie that you saw way when you were way younger than you should have been. Oh, sure. Everybody watches them. And I mean, like, I, I saw all of the Friday the 13th films in my early teens because they were just silly. Uh, and... <laughs> It's it's a matter of kind of getting your feel for that. Uh, but uh, I, I feel like the Euro horror stuff is the kind of stuff that few of us were all that exposed to, at least, you know, here in North America. Certainly not so much during like the VHS days. Right. Um, now, with everything being international, it's a lot easier. But when we were kids back in the unspecified decade that we were... Well, like VHS rental era, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it was and the even blockbuster era, even and to I the like think... late days of that when it moved into DVD rental uh, before kind of collapsing. Uh, even then, I, I don't feel like you saw a lot of this sort of stuff because by that point it was like very, very Hollywood product oriented. Oh yeah, like 
yeah, no, this would never have been on the video store shelves back in the day. Yeah. I mean, like, you, if it were a thing, then, of course, this if, is a Yeah, yeah if, if uh, it but, hadn't come out in 2018, I'm sure it would not be on the shelves in 1996. Yeah, and I mean, like, it, it's got a very distinctly retro feel. Uh, it is set in Paris 1979, and it does sort of have the feel of a giallo of that period where it's kind of moving into the disco era a little bit more so you got that neon so much neon oh it's it's beautiful to look at this movie <laughs> it's like yeah and it's kind of like oh the neon's kicking in everything's getting trippy i bet someone's gonna die <laughs> well it's especially the color blue you know, someone goes out into the spooky midnight blue and's like, oh, oh, someone's going to get it. Uh, I love the score by M83. Uh, that's the the, bro- the the brother of the director, uh, Jan oh, okay. Gonzalez. Uh, his his brother is M83. Uh, so he did the score for this and I think his previous film as well. Uh, really cool score. Yeah. Nice electronic tones. Uh, the My favorite piece in it though is uh over the end credits and that's by someone else but also we'll we'll get to that ultimately uh so the movie opens on someone looking at some reels of a gay porno uh and they're sort of focusing on one person in particular really frizzy haired twink type uh who we cut to dancing at a leather bar a pretty wild leather bar scene yeah um shit lost it (laughs) uh one of the things that i noticed in the leather bar is that there's a dude with a bird head playing the drums oh yeah (laughs) which is totally weird but i think it's a direct reference to lamberto bava's delirium which is uh the movie i was talking about last week as having been uh, sort of very, very similar to this and sort of its its basic setup as that one's about someone murdering the models of a, a nudie magazine. Oh. Uh, and for some reason in that movie, there's a few bizarre POV sequences from the killer where people have crazy animal heads. And I noticed animal heads a couple times in this movie, and I feel like they're kind of paying homage to that specifically since uh their their plot mirrors a lot of that plot there there are a few there are more animal heads than a usual movie that's for sure Mm -hmm. i just started thinking about all the ones i didn't even make that i didn't even notice it until you mentioned it and i was like yeah there are a lot aren't there there are a few uh and i mean as well birds figure pretty heavily into this plot and there's a lot of weird mystical magic kind of rippling out through the story that uh may not be entirely the reality of reality i mean it's a very filmic reality where things don't need to make sense and things are kind of uh supposed to just be a visual experience Uh Uh, so we're introduced right away to our villain although we won't know who he is until the very end uh scary leather mask uh, yeah but the villain costume's really good it's really good it's simple uh it's just like a, a a simple mask it's kind of like the michael myers william shatner mask in a way but all black and leather black, of course yeah black leather and kind of patchworky 
Yeah, but not like noticeably patchworky. It just looks kind of grubby. Yeah. Uh, and even though, you know, it's someone in a scary leather mask who looks pretty intense, but isn't really conspicuous in the environment of this bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, he fits right in there. I mean, there's live sex on the dance floor. Uh, one thing I noticed, uh, the exit sign, instead of exit, it said out. I uh, wonder if that's a European thing or if that's a style choice, like out, because uh, it's a gay bar, right? Oh, so, um, I don't know. I truly don't know, but I uh, it struck me as maybe stylistic because I think the exit sign is sort of a universal standard. Just the design of it, anyways. Uh, and now that's you know, going to bother me. Is it always? Does it always yeah, I, say exit? And it, what if it's a different language? I'm not sure. Like it's <laughs> usually exit, but uh, I mean that's that's sort of the North American standard, anyways. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. But I, I saw that and was like, oh, neat. I I don't know if that's specifically a style choice or if it's just <laughs> the the exit signs in Europe. Either way. It it really could be. Uh so the the guy from the reels of the porno is Carl. Uh and we see uh the mask the, the our masked killer. Uh and, and I say mask guy, and that's kind of a spoiler in that we we do ult- it does ultimately turn out to be a guy, but it's intentionally unclear whether it is male or female uh throughout the film until like very very late legitimately surprised to find out that the killer wasn't our hero yeah it's totally going to be the hero oh shit it's not yeah and i think that's sort of why the giallo is so uh so open to uh trans and queer readings and uh interpretations because just the way they kind of design all of the characters to all be kind of suspicious, even the main character uh, and of both genders all the time, it, it sort of lends itself to uh, gender blurring. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because the, because the main character has a similar enough build to the killer, despite being a small woman. Mm-hmm. That it it is possible, and and there are certain things that they do to kind of suggest that the killer might be a woman at different times as well. Um, so first, we are, like we we do open pretty quickly with a kill. Uh, so Carl uh, follows the mask guy into the spooky deep blue of an alley, uh, and a grackle flies out at him. Uh, similar to a crow or raven, we, we oh, see a lot okay. of these birds. Uh, yep. We, I didn't know that w- which kind of bird it was until I got to the end of the movie, and they're specifically defined for us. But I, I had crow raven in my notes up until that point. Yeah, I thought it was a raven. Yeah, I, I assumed, but yeah, uh, uh, the the bird guy at the end uh, calls it a grackle specifically. Um. So Carl goes in to kiss the mask, and we kind of smash cut to uh, Carl tied face down to a bed, but consensually. Uh-huh. There, there's candles, there's pulsing orange lighting, there's soft string music. Uh, but then 
notably pulls a switchblade dildo from the front of the jeans, uh, which does sort of suggest that, you know, it, it could potentially be a female character because, you know, has a dildo in the front of the pants. Where? Uh, oh. oh, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, because at first I thought. Well, or a later scene, well, I thought. But in anyways. a couple scenes, yeah, no, there's, yeah. there's a couple sequences where it's pulled out uh, to seem like it is a penis. Uh, so it, it definitely does kind of suggest in the, in those sequences that it may be a female killer instead. Uh, so uh, Carl here gets stabbed to death, uh, and we don't see specifically how in this sequence, but we learn uh, shortly that he is stabbed to death in the butt. Yep, a lot. A lot. a lot. Like a, a whole bunch of times. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty wild uh opening to the movie we we see the grackle i i wrote in my notes watching from the windowsill but i guess uh per later revelations it's not watching anything (laughs) yep (laughs) Uh, but it's there it's there it's there uh it, it has a purpose i guess um so the film editor lois who's sort of our our second main character in a way she she's the the object of affection of the main character yeah she's i don't even want to call it the love interest because she's not interested anymore no they well it's have, a little bit more complicated than that but it's very complicated dating. yeah and they've just broken up basically uh and it, we're kind of introduced to both of them with lois getting a call from Anne, who's really drunk and just has been out wandering and she doesn't know where she is she like yeah she woke up in like a field or something and she has an amazing line it was all shadows and blood and death (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah she says she had a terrible dream Mm -hmm. and then she was just in this field and lois is like oh my god stop doing this yeah and Go ahead, please. Like, um, so she's like, you're always doing this. You just got wasted. Just leave me alone. We're done. Stop talking to me all the, or stop talking to me about this stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, she says, and it's over. My heart has run dry. Right, right. Now, I'm trying to think. I know that I've seen the actress who plays Lois somewhere, and uh, I didn't think to look it up. Uh, I will see if I can pull something up. Because uh, it's kind of bothered me because it's like, this is a French film. Where would I know her from? Uh, yeah. And I might not. I probably don't, and she probably just looks like somebody. Um, but yeah, so Anne is the producer of uh, the porn company, and Lois is the editor. They were dating. Now they aren't, but they still work together, and it's weird. And there's a lot more going on than that. Well, yeah, always, you know. Yeah. Um, the breakup was messy. Well, and they still work together, which is not great. Uh-huh. Obviously, that that's a big issue. And it was uh, one of those cases where, like, Lois still loves her, but is like, you're bad for me, and we, I just, I can't do this anymore sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lois is played by Kate Moran, 
Uh, and I have not seen anything else that she's in. Uh, and it like there's nothing that seems like you'd probably have seen. Like I don't know, you ever see the TV series Acceptable Risk or Cannabis? No, <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. No, hmm. no idea. Uh, maybe it's just one of those faces. Could be. Yeah. So we, here we we now get what's going on in the studio uh so we 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 see our first uh, porn shoot just basically three dudes in underwear dancing and making out to disco and there <laughs> there's is this like right around here i think there's the one guy who's having trouble getting hard uh shortly after it's it's after her and comes and ruins the scene because she's in a bad mood oh right that, so like <laughs> she pro- she seems like she sucks to work for yeah, she does seem to be kind of a pain. She's sort of the creative genius, I guess, because, like, all the plots are her. Um, but so, like, she shows up and heads straight for the office, and there's this weird peephole in the mouth of the poster in the editing bay uh, that Anne can spy on Lois through. Yeah, she spies on her editing. It's weird. <laughs> it's uh, real weird. But yeah, so it's after that she goes downstairs and, you know, gives direction slash ruins the mood on the porn shoot in progress. And uh, they they all just kind of everyone loses the mood. So they have to call in their pro fluffer. I, I love that this guy exists. I just love the concept. He has one job. <laughs> he's he's Bush door or mouth of gold or, or usually they'll just say Bush. His job is. Uh, just to give backstage blowjobs to get them hard for the filming. Yeah, he, Apparently that's his whole thing. He doesn't yeah. do anything else. And we later find out he works for free. Yeah, he's exclusively a fluffer. Uh, like th- that, that is a term in the business, but you, usually someone who's a fluffer is also just someone else who's working on the film in some way. Uh, is, you know, usually one of the other actors or, you know, just an actor who is, Someone else who's working on the set in some sense, but uh, this is just his whole deal, uh, and uh, it's just a hobby. <laughs> He's a very sweet guy. <laughs> oh yeah, everyone lovable. loves him. He loves everyone. Uh, and there's a really great shot after this where uh, Lois comes out of the editing editing room, and Anne is out on the other side of. Uh, the office and they're all both on different floors they're just staring at each other smoking from across the room it's very french <laughs> oh what happens after uh okay so this then is when archibald drives Anne to the quarry and she has sort of a oh, dream yeah. sequence <laughs> on the way she has a dream sequence with the leather mask guy seemingly Oh, like, right. I don't know if she's having premonitions of him, because at these points, it really does seem like it's suggesting she's the killer. Yeah, but she doesn't even, at this point, they don't even know there is a killer yet. No, they haven't heard about the murder yet. So, yeah, it's weird. She's having, like, psychic flashes of him, I suppose. Yeah, but, or, or uh, she's... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but to the reason he was driving her to the quarry. <laughs> okay, I love this. She's just going to a quarry to recruit 
just to like see if there's any hot twinks to recruit for our films. And there just is to see, there, <laughs> to see if there happens to be any there. And there is. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy she named just, Nans or Nans. She just walks up to him while he's working and is like, basically like, Hey, do you want to be in my gay porn films? And like basically seduces him into it. And all it's the a other really hard like, sell. All the other workers are like your mom's hot, but to be fair, in this in this scene at least, she kind of is. Yeah, uh, and like <laughs> she's coming on hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, and she tells Archibald that he reminds her of Fuad, uh, who Archibald says has probably joined the Foreign Legion or something. I I don't know if we hear what actually happened about Fuad. Yeah, no, we. We, I don't think we do. We just hear that he's like a legendary former actor of theirs. Yeah, and he is this guy's exact double. Like everyone says it, and we do much later on see him in a film. Uh, and it's played by the same actor. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing, Fuad, I like. I don't know if it's a, a really common name, but it immediately made me flash to Blood Feast, uh, the first gore film, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast, where the villain is Fuad Ramses, uh, who's a young guy in very unconvincing old age makeup who's a cannibal. <laughs> Great bad movie. Um, but anyway, uh, so we 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 have. Then th- th- this is when we hear about uh, Carl's body being found and, and we uh, meet the weird inspectors. Oh, yeah. These these guys are I figured they I thought they'd figure more prominently into it. But honestly, police detectives investigating murdered porn actors aren't going to figure prominently into anything. No, they they more serve for inspiration than anything else. Yeah. So, oh man, so this one guy, the the main detective guy, the uh, bald one. He looks like a Lord of the Rings orc. Yeah, he does. I don't know what it is. Like it like I think it, there's something with his face that I can't place. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I was wondering if he was, a, like, if he had burns on his face or something similar to the actual villain of the movie. Uh, I actually which thought is, he might be the same guy. Right, like, exactly. He, might, he could be the villain. And I wonder if perhaps that's also why they cast him, is he has that look of maybe having had some burns to his face and... You know, it's just another way to throw a wrench in people's expectations. Like, oh, this person was burned and we're having all these flashes of uh, someone being in a fire associated with all of these killings. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And and the other detective, the young guy, is just in love with her and weird. And he's really weird. He's really weird. We don't know how weird just yet. We we yeah. learn how much weirder he is way later on. <laughs> yeah, I, oh yeah, I can't <laughs> wait till we get there. <laughs> uh, so Anne is really confrontationally sexual with the cops. She she's going into full femme fatale mode too. Yeah, and like going into really exceptional detail about an orgy scene that Carl had recently done. Yeah. 
and, and the the younger cop, uh, the one who, not the weird old guy, is just right. like enthralled. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, and the other guy's like, keep typing, <laughs> keep typing. Um, and then we get this crazy <laughs> porn interpretation of the same scene. Uh, Archibald playing Anne. <laughs> yep, and, and the two the two cops are like keep typing as she's talking so, about this thing. <laughs> yeah, and and so there's the one cop who's the older like I think he's a Spanish actor uh, who's like the older guy on the set uh, on like with the porn group. Yeah, uh, and so he he starts some foot play. But the other guy just like bangs his dick into the typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just he's humping the typewriter keys and he's just like ting ting ting. And he's like keep typing, keep typing. <laughs> as Archibald as as Anne is describing the orgy, <laughs> it's just this ridiculous scene that is only a little bit removed from what actually happened. Yeah, and it's it's really fun because there's no like interstitial between the two scenes it's like we're seeing that scene and then we just kind of immediately cut to this version of it and it kind of takes a minute to get your footing like what is happening now (laughs) yeah because it's like a smash cut yeah and it it just feel it doesn't even feel like a smash cut it just feels like it's the scene hasn't changed (laughs) but we're in a completely different location with different people but it's the same thing happening it's the same characters somehow yeah uh, Boosh is very hurt by them making light of Carl's death. Sorry, can you say that again? Uh, sorry. Uh, Boosh is very hurt by them making light of Carl's death. He's he's not not cool with that. Yeah, he, he understandably so because the death, like they're filming a scene that's inspired by a real death of one of their friends who died like a couple days ago at most. Yeah, I mean, like, all of this is happening in a fairly short period of time, so I get it. They're not changing the names, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is also the scene where he mentions that he doesn't get paid, either. <laughs> He's like, yeah. oh, I need nothing. I live with my mother. <laughs> uh, I love him. He's adorable. Uh, and so then Tiri goes outside into the spooky blue night to shoot up heroin in a car. Oh, I bet he's going to die. Uh, he make, sure is. is. The music? Oh, <laughs> I, I think it's starting to make the music. Oh, man. Music means killer's coming. Uh, and meanwhile, Lois goes out to an underground gay club with this really rad neon blue and red aesthetic. Uh, and at the same time, like, so her at this uh club is sort of intercut with uh first the the grackle lands on the seat next to Terry uh, who's kind of nodded out in the back seat of this car and i think Anne goes like stalks Lois to this club too yes yes definitely and that's the thing that kind of threw me because i'm <laughs> like at first early in the movie i had Anne peg as the killer i was i had thought i had the whole thing figured out she's like she's killing these people to get inspiration to make the best porn ever to impress her editor ex-girlfriend 
I mean, and that's like, what I thought the know, plot was. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen dumber slasher film plots, absolutely. Oh, no, I didn't think it was dumb. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I was like, I'm on board for this. I, like, I, I've seen further absurd ones, ones that seemed less insane than that, or more insane than that. So, yeah, I mean, I could totally see it. Uh, so the, this is one of the times in particular where the killer does seem female because, uh, the, the dildo switchblade like is worn kind of like a strap on. Right. Yes. Here's where it like comes out from the pants when he unbuttons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so yeah. And it looks like he's, he's like just whipping out his dick. Mm-hmm. Um, no actual penises are shown in the movie. Surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly. Uh, but then he then he pulls it out and he's like, nope, that's a dildo. And, you know, it's just switchblade. Oh, no. I, I, I just remembered how specifically he died. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty nasty. So he's sucking, like, he's sucking on this dildo and it just the killer's just giving it to him and giving it to him. And then you see the knife point come out the back of his head. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It's it's maybe the most intense in the whole movie, actually. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> that one's wild. Well, while Lois is dancing with this uh, other girl, and Anne's just like fuming creeping. on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. But like, we don't see a lot of clear shots of what she's doing, and it's more focused on what Lois is doing. So I think at this point there's still some sort of objective reality potential for Anne to be the killer because uh, the timeline is unclear of any of these. There's a lot of intercutting, but it's clear that the timeline of Thierry's killing uh, is taking place not parallel with all of this other stuff because it's a pretty short amount of time. Because he left the porn shoot and he's right outside, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we don't know that yet. No, of course not. Yeah. Not really. We we have no not idea really. who, yeah. who any of it is yet. Because uh, all the killer scenes are just like, there's no talking. It's all just surreal lights and, and music and and dildos and blades. Yeah, they're they're very abstract. They're very sexual. Uh, they're they're all about the lighting. Again, all of these things are are very giallo esque, but kind of this is a more queer intensified version of it, which is cool. Red. Uh, so here we get the new guy from the quarry appearing in a new scene from Anal Fury, uh, which is still the title of the film at this point. Uh, they they don't change it quite yet. Yeah, which scene was this? Uh, so we, we're just seeing Lois editing a bit of the film. So we see him as oh, one of the yeah. as one of the detectives in this. I think he's one of the cops uh, in like in the film, like yeah, in yeah. Anal Fury at this point. Yeah, I think he's the, the young cop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lois finds you have killed me scratched into a section of the film. Uh, with Teary on it. But Anne did that. We see her do it. Anne did that. And she's just sending it as a message to Lois about how upset she is about being dumped. Yeah, but it, tur- it takes a but much different meaning when he turns up dead. 
Yeah, like immediately thereafter, because it's right then that someone comes in to report that they found the body. And it's strange that Lois never seems to accuse Anne of being the killer or warn anyone that she might be. Yeah, she does not make that connection at all. Well, I'm thinking it's maybe just that the audience can make that connection, but maybe Lois knows that Anne may have her serious problems, but she's not a murderer. And she she knows her well enough to know that that's just not the case. Or maybe she just thinks the actual murderer is the one who sent the message. Oh, maybe. Could be. Just doesn't does not realize that it would have been Anne who sent it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just really unfortunate timing that uh, of a really dumb, drunk message that could have blown up a lot worse than it did, to be honest. It yeah. kind of got resolved in a neat little package. Uh, or, or just kind of got a lift yeah. on the cutting room floor. Literally. <laughs> so uh, at the bar, this is when Anne, like right after this, at the bar when they're all kind of drinking and commiserating about this is when Anne suggests changing the title of the movie to homocidal homocidal which she does change it to although her friends are a little bit offended at first but she does go with it <laughs> yeah yeah they, they really they don't like that she's uh using the real deaths of their friends to uh, make this movie, but at the same time, they don't. They're all in it. They're all. They're in it. They're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I think ultimately they they kind of all think it's a good movie when they're done with it, and they seem to be enjoying doing most of the scenes. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. But at the same time, like I sort of feel. You know, knowing how the movie sort of plays out, it does feel like it's just her working through this stuff by making light of it. You know, she's this is how she's dealing with the issue. This is how she's working through it. She's not someone who is is allows herself to be emotional in that sort of way. Uh, she's got a different sort of persona. Okay. See, I'm still... She's a weirdo. (laughs) She's weird, yeah. I was still thinking that her whole motivation for this, and I still do, even even though she's not actually the killer, but I do think her motivation for all this is to just make a film that will impress Lois. Because Lois, at the beginning, has been saying, like, it's always the same shit every time. So she's trying to make, like, the best film. Possibly. I, I, I like I think that's part of it, but I, I think that's kind of just her as an artist as well. Uh, and because like she's making another one at the end that also sounds totally insane. Right. Like we, we have, uh, I think, a preview of the one they're working on at the end or something. Oh, uh, yeah, and, you know, it was something weird. I can't remember. Right. And it seems like just she's working on sort of adapting life into art, into art. And that's kind of always been her thing because, you know, much later the the big reveal is when we see a trailer for one of their old films and realize that uh, it's why all of this is happening. Cause it's based on another news story that she read uh, locally that she kind of just made into a porno. <laughs> But we'll much later get to that. <laughs> yeah. 
so uh, also here, a former employee shows up uh, with her whole crew. Uh, this I, is I love this crew. Misia, I, I Misia is is the leader of the bunch. Yeah, and she used to work for Anne's studio, um, but then went and joined her own. Um, what even are they? They're they are sex workers. They're like call girls or something. Okay. Uh, and they're but like really high priced. Um, because Anne is like, uh, I'll I'll totally hire all of you. You know, I have jobs for anyone who's interested. It's like we make way better money on the street than you can possibly give us. Thanks. Yeah, it's like I'll pay you this much per scene, and they just kind of laugh. Yeah. It's like, man, that won't even get you a blowjob at the day rate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and but they do it anyways. Oh yeah, they they all end up showing up. Although it's it's more they they come to the picnic. Uh, in a few scenes, they all show up to to hang out at the picnic. Uh, the, oh my gosh, the picnic was just—it's just shots of them just relaxing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's really sweet really scene. nice. It's nice, really nice. <laughs> an, an unusual thing in the middle of a slasher movie. Uh, but first, we have this really weird scene where there's just a series of curtained blue squares with people having sex acts in them. I don't remember that. <laughs> okay, so first there's uh, an oral sex scene. There's someone who's making out with their own reflection in a mirror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. And there's a sub-dom uh, thing going on, and... Uh, Anne, or Archibald as Anne, yeah. comes in wearing the leather mask. Not quite the same as the killer's mask, but a leather mask in a very similar way. It looks kind of more like a ski mask than a slasher villain mask. Yeah, like it looks a little bit more off the rack, but it's still clearly a, a leather mask of the same sort of concept, which is interesting that she kind of landed on that when that's something that uh, they wouldn't have known, but then she's also having these psychic flashes of him. <laughs> what uh, is him? Which, which he's not ultimately, but yeah, not, I don't but, know. You know. Could be. <laughs> Still could be, especially at, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, starts to pull out the knife dildo here, which I, I wonder if they would have known that uh, they unless it was left there. They shouldn't have. No, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the the cops uh, or, you know, the the new guy and uh, the uh, Spanish dude, I think, uh, yeah. come in and shoot, shoot her. And that's that's rap on homicidal. That's the conclusion of the film. So the picnic is the rap party. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 So in the uh, in but in homicidal and plays the killer and um, Archibald yeah. plays Anne. Yeah, because it's it's very clearly him playing Anne. He's wearing her outfits. He's wearing a wig that looks like her. And especially in this. Yeah, he shaved. Uh, And like in this scene in particular, he really does look like Anne, like a lot like Anne, especially. And it's it's definitely meant to play with the audience. But it's also an interesting theme in the film that she's casting herself as the killer in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Which. Again, 
made me all the more surprised when it wasn't her. But like, I feel it's a sense of guilt in some way. And also she is sort of in a weird way responsible. Uh, but, you know, not not yeah, directly. She, she is, but she doesn't know that yet. Yeah, she's not responsible. But again, she's having all these psychic flashes. There's some sort of weird connection there. It's it's hard to say how all of this fits together exactly. But the picnic scene here. It's really great. Oh, wait, actually, first, there is a scene where Anne goes to a lesbian bar and watches this really crazy burlesque show with the bear. and the, Oh, yeah, the bear and the, the woman and the lady in the fishnets. Yeah. Yeah. And the bear. It's just this. It's it's another one of those animal heads. It's like a bad paper mache bear head and. The, the lady's just having sex with this bear on the stage. And it's also biting her and it's really bloody, but like it's fake, oh, yeah. like really yeah. fake. But really bloody. Yeah, like super bloody. But yeah, it's it's a very strange burlesque sequence uh, that oh. she watches. And then it's, it's the next day that they all go to the picnic. Uh, everyone's talking about how much Nuns looks like Fuad. One thing about this scene is that it's such a big contrast with every like color wise with everything else we've seen so far it's green it's beautiful it's uh there's no neon in sight yeah it's very light and natural it's 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 not like a really bright sunny day it's you know just a mellow day yeah. uh they're they're just in a field somewhere uh, near a forest uh and and uh, Mesia shows up and she gives Anne uh some romantic advice about all the shit that's going on with Lois yeah it's very and sweet. Then, then Lois shows up in the middle of that and takes yeah. it the wrong way. And it gets weird really fast. And a grackle lands on Lois's shoulder and a big storm blows up immediately. Kind of a supernatural element to the movie. Yeah. Oh, it's it's instant that this storm kicks up. Mm-hmm. So um, from this point, I decided that the killer has weather controlling powers. Or the birds do. Or the, the birds, birds do. do. It turns out it's it's probably the birds. I think the birds probably do, yeah. Although, yeah. do the birds exist? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, hmm. She doesn't acknowledge that the bird's on her shoulder. No. She doesn't even seem to notice it, and it's only there for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I it's she's marked for death by the bird landing near her, right? I, I think that's sort of the purpose of the bird in most of these scenes. Like anyone who the bird lands next to dies, uh, usually right away, but she doesn't die. My thought was seeing that was like, is she the killer? Yeah, totally. I mean, again, it's it's another thing to suggest it could be her instead, not, not Anne. And then I started running through what ridiculous motivations she could possibly have. Um I couldn't come up with much, but, you know, it's, it's still possible. She still could have been. It could be anyone. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the idea. So everyone's taking shelter from this storm, like getting the hell out of the park. Except the for um, what Misia, I think, who's like trapped weirdly. Well, it's like they, they both seem to like both. Um, she seems to be in a clearing somewhere and like gone 
some direction. I, I, I don't like, I don't know if it's like a square of trees or something like that. Um, got separated from everyone else anyway. Yeah. Uh, and gets cornered by a uh, leather mask guy. And this makes it very clear that uh, it cannot be Lois or Anne because they are kissing nearby in the woods, apparently. Unless, like they're, unless that's not really happening. Or that's yeah. happening at a different time because, uh, you know, we have that intercutting and it's never really clear how much these things are supposed to actually be parallel. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Cause, yeah, because they're kissing in the woods while this storm is happening. And yeah, just like making out and the rain is coming down and Lois says, I'll always love you. But then she still leaves because she is still pretty done with Anne. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't recall exactly how the killer gets Misio, though. I think it's just a st- just a basic stabbing. Okay. Like a stabbing in the gut, I think. Um, and then uh, sort of the Lois Ant and Anne sequence sort of continues like somewhere in this, like in Deep City, just no hint of any wildlife anywhere. They're like on a freeway on ramp in front of like tall buildings and just the same torrential downpour. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And then, and like, this is the part where like uh Anne like tries to rape Lois. Yeah, she gets really really aggressive uh and it's pretty gross uh and it ruins uh, the the relationship pretty permanently. Yep. And then and also during it we see the leather mask guy lurking on a rooftop nearby. Or do we, right? Or do we? <laughs> I the mean... leather mask guy appears on the camera. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's where he is. Because neither of them are shown to have seen him. So we see him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, since we're the only ones who see him, presumably it is real. <laughs> presumably. It's not filtered through someone else's experience. Uh, so, yeah, the, it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty nasty scene. Uh, Lois uh, takes off. Uh, and Anne wakes up on a bench in the lesbian bar where she watched the burlesque show. And that's where she learns about the latest murder. Which would have happened like. Like, yeah, that would have been just a couple hours or minutes ago. It's not really clear. I think it's the day before because I think she's waking up the next morning after. Oh, OK, right. Like she she's sleeping off how drunk she was. Uh, in the city there, because she was shit hammered. She goes to the police, and this is where they just tell her that they, yeah, you know, they can't really do anything, and they don't have any leads. Uh, just keep your actors safe at home, then, which is not really a great solution. Oh yeah, but then, <laughs> yeah, then. Cop, uh, saves the quote unquote saves the day by. I should, I love this. I should. I, uh, he's like. Okay, well, I take all these souvenirs from all the crime scenes I work. Um, like he's, yeah, the, the crime scenes he works. Oh, so he's not someone who collects souvenirs from crime scenes he creates. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. That's good, if he, <laughs> you know. And he's like, here. I, he says to Anne, he's like, here, I want you to have this. Basically, like, like um, here's some evidence. I'm not going to solve the case, but maybe you want to give it a try. 
Yeah, uh, and their feathers that they've found from the crime scenes, these grackle feathers. And it's amazing, he has it in a fancy wood box. Like, Yeah. He, um, he's created a trophy case for them, too. Uh-huh. And weird that... Yeah. Weird that feathers in a park would seem, uh, you know, relevant to a case. Just it, it turns out it is, but yeah. it, it is. Yeah, they're they're strange feathers, uh, and I don't quite get how the phone book scene plays out exactly, other than they shine light through the feather on the phone book. And choose an address, and Anne goes there with the feather. It's it's very dream logic-y, and it's kind yeah. of a dream sequence. It it feels like a dream when she's there. Here is the point where, to me, it feels like it turns into a fairy tale. Like right or, somewhere in between the picnic and here, it feels like the movie just turns into a fairy tale and just kind of stays that way. Yeah, absolutely. Because, like, um, especially when she goes to this place and, like, opens the door. I don't know door. what this place is. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe when you were uh, talking about it earlier, you, you said it's like, oh, she went to Hobbiton. <laughs> yeah, the, the, she's in the Shire she's now. She's in the Shire, There's right. There's this weird pyramid thing made of logs or wood or something. Yeah, um, just this nice, like, and, like, people just kind of appear from behind it. <laughs> people who know a lot about the bird that that feather is from somehow because somehow. the bird is so it's a type of blind grackle and so blind which is why i was saying earlier that it obviously was not watching from the windowsill yeah. uh and they're believed to be long extinct but there's uh there's a folklore thing about them indeed they uh, I'll try to remember this. <laughs> they take, they absorb death into themselves and then fly it towards the sun to burn up the death, but they get too close to the sun and it makes them go blind. Right. Yeah. So they, these birds can apparently save people's lives. Um, but they go blind in the process. Right. And I guess whenever we see them in all of these sequences, they're already blind when they arrive, because we do see that they have completely white eyes. Uh, So they, they're no longer they're Once they, when for the deaths that they're here to witness, they're not able to absorb the death because they've already absorbed one. Uh-huh. So that kind of makes me wonder, how many birds are there? Is it just the one? I guess it's just the one, although it sort of felt like when we do finally like get the reveal later. More than, yeah. Yeah, when we get the reveal later, it does kind of sound as if it was a flock. But maybe there's just one that's now traveling uh, with our guy uh, from this point forward. Yeah, so... Um... So the person who is the expert on this long extinct bird and he's so good Pierre. at it because he yeah, he can look at a feather and be like, oh, that's this long extinct bird. Here's a legend about it. Also, I have bird hands. Yeah, he has one hand that is just all birdy. Like he's 
and and the lady who's there with him says he's in the process of a full body mutation into a bird. It's a Somehow. rare genetic disorder. Yeah, that's uh, all the explanation we get. Yep. And yeah, we're not going to see this guy again, but hey, it's a bird hand. Yeah, it's a very strange, striking visual sequence, like both the pyramid and just this guy's bird hand. <laughs> yeah, like, is this supposed to be like a bird sanctuary? That's kind of the impression I get. Yeah. And that's why he why she went there to ask them about the feather. So he is the bird who is taking sanctuary there because there are no other birds there. Oh, wow. Right? Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, dang. It's strange sequence. Uh, and then we see, like, this whole this whole sequence is very dreamlike. So we see Anne getting off a train, and she finds a letter from Lois there, just waiting oh, for yeah. her. Just waiting for her at the train station. Uh, and she's the only one at the train station. Uh, and Lois does say, like, what happened last night? It ruined things forever. Okay. Just please understand this. It is really, really, really over now. <laughs> I'm going to finish editing the movie and then I don't want to see you again, basically. Yeah. And a man comes up and says that Archibald has reser- reserved a room for her nearby. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I guess Archibald must have uh, – it doesn't matter. Who knows? So well, she has a room. Yeah, I, I assume like Archibald t- spoke with Lois and they sort of was like, OK, we're, we're going to send her on this outing. And this is where she can receive the letter and she can be out in the country and not able to come to town and get shit hammered and come after me again. Right. Uh, okay, that I, I feel sense. like it's that sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lady named Kathy who uh, is the the daughter of the guy who runs the inn. Uh, and he or she walks with Anne to the forest, uh, oh, but she doesn't want a guide to stick with her. Yeah. So they, they, I'm not really sure why Anne goes into this forest, but she finds a cemetery there. She's yeah, like I'm not I'm never really I I have no idea what she's doing there, but it is totally key. It it turns out it's super important. Yeah. And so she drinks in the woods for a bit. She's she first gets Kathy to have some whiskey, uh, but from her giant flask from her giant flask. And then she's just, you know, wandering in the woods, drinking for most of the day, uh, as it turns out, because she picks her up after nightfall later and she does not have much left in the flask at that point Uh, even (laughs) though we only get like a very short flash of this there there's this really amazing shot or (laughs) this this moment where she comes to this graveyard she finds this graveyard in the woods uh and finds a grave for uh guy favre uh died 1964 so this would have been 15 years earlier because i think this is 79 yeah, yeah, that's right. And she kneels before the grave and it instantly gets dark. Uh, and I don't feel that that's actually supposed to be naturally what happened in the movie, because obviously she spent the day wandering around in the woods drinking first and then comes to the grave at night. Um, and there's this there's an old woman at the grave, too. 
is like, do you know what happened to him? Do you know what happened to my son? It's like, you're in a graveyard. His name's on the tombstone. It shouldn't be that hard to figure out. And she says that Guy speaks to her at night. Uh, interestingly. <laughs> and maybe he does. He might, actually. Uh, and so Kathy comes to pick her up and drive her back. And she kind of gives some background to the guy story that he and his quote unquote friend uh, died in a barn fire. And we've been seeing flashbacks of a barn fire for the whole movie. Yeah, but like in negative, um, mm-hmm. always in negative filming, like, yeah, to be clear that this like, I guess to make it clear that this isn't supposed to be something that's happening right now. Right. Whereas everything else can be like, eh, you can think it's happening now if you want. Yeah, it's happening in some form of the present. <laughs> yeah, but this, this is, is obviously a, a flashback past. or hallucination. Yeah. But it turns out a f- flashback, but not not from who I thought the flashback would be from. Right. Or it's like her receiving these psychic emanations that she seems to be receiving. Uh, even though that's never really directly addressed. Yeah. Uh, so, and they do note that Guy's body was never found, or or Kathy rather notes that the body was never found. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so there's like theories going, like the, the town or whatever has all these theories, like maybe Guy uh, killed the other person and then ran away or we, and we burned do find down the out on to uh to uh, uh <clears throat> to cover up his crime is the yeah. theory they have yeah yeah we, we find out what did happen uh right almost at the very end yeah and not they don't they're quite not, get it right but they're not no, not quite not super far off yeah uh and Anne goes to get more whiskey and the old guy uh, says just Kathy can't have any more. She has a drinking problem, and the drinking problem is that it makes her dream, and she wants to live a better life away from him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Feel bad for Kathy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's rough. There and uh, there, there's a very sweet note from Kathy. Uh, clearly, she's just yearning for something more than this sedate country life. Well. Too bad for her. That'll have to happen in a different movie. Yeah, this is not the Kathy movie. This is the Anne movie and the uh, the hey, the yeah. guy movie. Um, oh yeah, the guy. Yeah, I, I I found it funny. I had him in my notes all the way through as leather mask guy, and I just oh yeah, he's just guy. <laughs> he's just leather mask guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there, another porn shoot is starting already. Uh, hex rated. We see Archibald <laughs> being whipped in a dungeon. Yeah. So this one, um, this this one, like she said, she's trying to get everybody together and pay like triple for every scene. Uh, and it turns out it's bait to lure out the killer. The yeah. whole shoot is bait to lure the killer. Yeah, she just wants to get everybody there. Uh, and at the same time, Lois is editing the film still, and she starts to become suspicious uh, and calls somebody to pick her up and heads to the set, I guess, which is not in the usual place. 
Yeah, yes, because she sees, I think she sees like just a shadow of the of the killer in the background of one of the uh, shots. Yeah, um, something like that. Staring at Anne. Right. Uh, and at the porn shoot, the lights flicker and go out. Uh, and first, the older guy gets slashed. Uh, the the Spanish dude, I think, uh, who yeah. who was the cop in the the first film. Yeah, he just we don't really see how the lights come on and he's dead. Yeah, he just gets slashed. Yeah. Uh and Anne sees the leather mask. She says she knows that he's Guy Favre. Uh and he lun- he comes at her, but Lois jumps in front of the knife heroically and is killed. And I think Guy runs away at this point. Yeah, Guy gets away. Uh I think uh, Lois keeps the mask because he doesn't have the mask after this point. I think right. she gets a hold of the mask, uh, so they know for sure that it, that's who it was. Um, and then after this, we get to the debut screening of Homicidal, uh, with both Nuns and Anne in the audience. Yeah, he's just like, "Hey, I'm in this one. Here's a <laughs> yeah, free like, ticket. Uh, I, I'm in this movie." Like, oh, sure, yeah. Uh, and we already see pretty quickly that there is a creep in a mask behind nuns in the theater. Uh, yep, he's wearing a hat and a, like, a bandana over his face. And, and we can tell that he's burned. Yes. But not in the same way as that weird detective. No. Like, it's clearly burned makeup. <laughs> yeah. In, in a way. Um and Anne is also watching the movie uh, in like the first row, and she has this flash of all of the murdered characters from uh, the f- the rest of the film in the seats around her. Uh, it's a, a very American werewolf in London moment. Oh yeah, actually. they're all like they're all like zombies in in that shot, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're all uh, as they were murdered, so they they yeah. have the wounds from their deaths. Uh, and then. So, like, we see some of the film, and then uh, the the burnt guy leaves, and Nuns goes to rent a flashlight for the dark sex room somewhere in in the bowels yeah, of the it theater. Must, it, it must be a gay sex thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't so, some quite get el- it. Yeah, it, it, but it's some a, it element like of the culture at this time. Yeah, likely, like, late 70s. You know, that that was a, a, a pretty free time uh, for gay culture in, you know, Paris, probably, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they've got these porn films playing in theaters, so. I guess. Or yeah, did maybe. they? Like, again, how much of this is accurate to uh, the reality of the situation? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I know that none of this would have happened in England, James. Oh, my gosh. It. No. no. Oh, gosh. We can't have the poors watching their sex. We can't have them watching gay sex. Oh, I mean, Guy versus uh, Furman. I mean, Guy wins so easily. Oh, so easily. <laughs> so easily. Uh, sexual violence. Uh, <laughs> um, so at this point, another trailer starts playing for one of the previous films, one of the films with Fuad. This one seems to be too 
two guys um, making love in a barn and their dad finds them. Or, well, the one guy's dad finds them. And in the movie, the barn burns down and they all go dancing around the barn and the dad's happy for them. Yeah, it's it's just sort of a weird magical realism ending where, you know, they, they all just dance. Uh, of course, in reality, or this is what happened with Guy and his dad happened upon the two of them in love and uh, didn't go so good. It did not go so well. And th- that's how uh, uh, the barn ended up burning down and the two of them were in it. And uh, we see just this shot like this. I said that there were no dicks in the movie. I, I was wrong. There is one dick in the movie and it's in this shot. Uh, it's like the negative like flashback shot. Right. And you can see um, it's it's really brutal just really quick somebody chopping up uh, chopping off a penis and like blood squirting all out right that's right yeah uh and so we learn obviously that the uh or no no it's it's after this that we get the final flashback to confirm the rest of how it happened yeah so um yeah the dad uh in a rage, um, I guess cut off cut off Guy's penis, and right. then to cover it up, uh, just decided to burn down the bar. The other boy was in it, but he got out, and even though he was horribly burned, he was horribly burned um, in the barn. He didn't the bird, okay? <laughs> the, the, the so bird the birds, yes, the, the magic birds. Yeah, he he was saved by the birds somehow. Saved by the birds, but he lost his memories. Um, so he was just raised by the birds, and then one day he happened into a theater that happened to be playing this movie that happened to be based on his story that Anne must have just read in the news and then forgot about. Right, and all of the cast are the murder victims. Like, the entire cast are the people who have been murdered in this movie. Yeah, except for Fuad, who's long gone, so he... Right. But, so he mistakes him for Fuad too. Yeah, uh, what's um, his name? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the quarry guy. The quarry guy, yeah. I, honestly, that I do not remember any other name that he has. Uh, but the burnt dude cries out, Hicham! which was his lover. Uh, but then Anne busts in and outs him as the killer before he's able to strike. Yeah. So he's chasing him to the theater and he ends up at the front of the stage with a knife out. And this oh, he's got a dude... hostage. He he takes a hostage out of the sex room, but not, not quarry guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. So the, this big dude comes up, he's like, Oh yeah. You like killing fags, huh? Right. And they just kick the sh- I, I I guess they get the hostage away from him or something and they kick They get the, the hostage away from him pretty easy. I I think he just kind of lets him go when he's right in front of the movie screen and is pretty surrounded. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then one guy just picks up his knife and stabs him with it. Yeah. Uh a lot. And uh the blind grackle comes and lands on him one last time. 
Uh, and this is when we get the flashback about their romance uh, and the father discovering them and the birds saving him. This is when it's finally all confirmed. Uh, first, like with with the trailer, we just see that trailer and Anne getting a flash and putting everything together and running to go uh, see where, like somehow she knows that he's there and that he's going to be going after Quarter Guy. Nuns, nuns. That's his name. Yeah, I, I think she figures it out when she sees the, sees the trailer, too. It's like... He's like, oh, yeah, I made that movie. <laughs> and everyone oh. who died was in it. Oh, I should have thought of that. I shouldn't be so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, to be God. fair, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, the killers killed. Um. And then the we, one guy lived. And then it sort of blasts two credits. It goes to white, and there's an orgy in white space with Archibald as Pan, the the god Pan. Yeah, the 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 dude with the goat legs and the flute. And this is my favorite musical piece in the movie. It's Love's Refrain by Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, and uh, Lois shows up in the sequence somehow the the sound all fractures and becomes cacophonous and echoey yeah it feels like i thought it was really neat because it just felt like they were filming a scene and then just the scene broke yeah like, like it's just it's broken now it, it and doesn't the scene broken reality broke yeah uh yeah. and lois and ann kiss one last time, but of course the the cameraman pulls Anne away and Lois sort of fades. All the light goes out; it turns silent and deep blue. Ah, and and, awesome. and all the all the dead actors were there too, along with whoever was of still course. alive. Yeah. So it's a dream slash drug sequence slash maybe and or their next movie and or heaven slash hell. It sort of feels like an effective emotional payoff. It's like a curtain call. Uh, yeah. I love it. I, I think that's it's a really great way to conclude it. Uh, and, and that is very much the conclusion. Then finally, at the end of the white space bit, the deep blue, then we get the actual credits like it turns to black. We get like the last bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and yeah. And that's it. That's it. I loved this movie. It's so it was, good. <laughs> yeah, like um, that that bit where everything gets all green in nature for like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie needed that, in my opinion. Oh, totally. It's it's this really refreshing moment in the middle of the movie, uh, and it gets it it makes you understand all of the characters a lot better. Like you you sort of get a feel for them emotionally the the ones that you need to yeah yeah and it's still never really clear how much of it is a dream and how much is real yeah and i think kind of by design it's supposed to be really blurry how much of it's it's supposed to be based in a very filmic reality where a lot of stuff is unreal Mm -hmm. because wow that that the sequence at the bird sanctuary right yeah, like that that was just out of nowhere. I'm like, that's another one of those things that just might have been a different movie. 
completely. And the nature scenes are all shot differently. And I really liked it. But I, yeah. I mean, that's not to say I didn't like the like the other stuff. I I, I enjoyed the characters. Um, I liked the music. I liked the uh, I liked the mystery. Yeah, like I, I think it really works pretty much on every level. It, it's all very effective. It's it's very striking visually. Uh, a, a lot of really great use of both locations and the lighting, uh, weather, a lot of good use of rain. Uh-huh. Um, a killer who may or may not be able to manipulate the weather to some degree. Maybe. Uh, we never find out if he has supernatural powers. The only thing we know is that he's alive because of supernatural powers yeah and it, it just kind of seems like it's a supernatural world in which they're all living so th- there's some yeah. element of unreality to everything that happens with him and, and as well you know they're living a filmic reality because they are makers of films and all of their reality is being echoed in the films that they make so it's this whole weird echoplex of you know, films about films about reality. I really, <laughs> this one's an easy recommend for me. Oh yeah, totally. Th- this movie's great. It's quite unique in in the realms of the slasher film, uh, or you know, giallo film. It it is totally a giallo. Yeah, yeah. Um, like to me, it it really does feel more like a fairy tale than a traditional slasher. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a traditional slasher. Yeah, and and the ending as well. There's a a lot of sweetness to it in in some strange places. Like, for how strange and gory and harsh some of the sequences are, it it is weirdly sweet. Like, especially with that curtain call that you get. Uh Uh, So we were watching the Altered Innocence disc, uh, the Blu-ray, and uh, some of the extras. I, I did watch everything. Uh, it also has another short film by Anne Gonzalez called Les Eels, uh, which is another sort of abstract slasher movie uh, with okay. a guy with a burnt face. Uh, except in this one, he has like a vagina mouth. Oh, it's it's much more abstract and surreal. Uh, and it's just a short like it's about 20 minutes, but quite interesting. Oh, <clears throat> one thing I want to talk about that we didn't mention. Oh, yeah. The faces that are not the faces, the sounds uh, the killer makes. Oh, just yeah. Really? Th- this is a scary killer. He is. And it's just like uh, really and gross noises, guttural sounds like, like they, they could have built. They could have built a franchise around this guy. Mm-hmm. If if this were that, if, if they if this were that kind of a movie. Yeah. Uh, also, one other extra that's really cool. There's a music video uh, for a song called Les Vacances Continue. Uh, that's also another serial killer thing. It's a lady serial killer chopping off lots of penises. It's very fun. Lots of splooshy <laughs> core <laughs> effects. Like that one that you got in the sequence in this movie. There's like seven of those, but it's oh, just nice. a music video that the same director made. <laughs> oh, uh, recommend checking out. It's pretty funny. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, all right, so uh, that is replaced in the stacks with Surf 2, uh, Surf which two. I talked about quite a while back. Uh, <laughs> the one with Eddie Deason, uh, who is a mad scientist who gets some uh, processed, uh, some sewage waste runoff uh, 
and he makes it into a cola to sell to surfers to make them into trash-eating zombies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I remember you talking about this one. Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, So that's the one that was Beneath Knife Plus Heart. All right. Cool, cool. Okay, any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Um, I think I'm ready for... I'm ready to start seeing stars. Okay, so for our second movie, we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's Starman. Uh, But first, uh, we also hung out on Sunday and had first uh, Halloween-thon this weekend uh, and watched a handful of things. We watched a lot of stuff, but... I saw I saw about half of what you saw, despite being in the same room at the same time, <laughs> because I had just had a very long week of work and it was my first movie marathon in years. I did not have the stamina. Yeah, I was really sad to not have any horror thons with folks last last year in 2020. So was very excited to finally get together with people and watch some movies. Uh, so first one we watched was Beyond the Door 3. <laughs> That's so good. This, this movie had my attention from start to finish. This movie rules so hard. Uh, I can't believe how good this movie is. Uh, w- one that people really do need to see. And I don't think we'll talk a whole lot about it because it's one we should definitely do we an episode cover on. this movie. Because it's so much fun. Uh, but the basics are we've got Bo Svensson as the professor, which is to me a very funny credit. Uh, and in it's it's Serbia, right? Yeah, it's somewhere. I think it's Serbia. Um, a high school these... class trip to Serbia. Yeah, that's what's happening. And. Long story short, they end up trapped on a demon train. A demon-possessed train that can go off-roading and does. Uh, And just any way that people can be um, interestingly killed through train stuff, they're going to find a way to do it in this movie. Uh, Just it, it, it goes so hard. The effects are great. The, the writing's really good. The Nobody has horror movie stupidity. Yeah, and one of the things that I especially like about it is that it includes the infrastructure, because it's Serbia, so trains are still pretty important in the 80s. You know, it's post-Soviet bloc era, right? And Yeah. There's and so just, there's this whole thing of just, like, the government trying to be like, what are we going to do about this runaway train? Yeah, where is this train? What is going on? It's we, need to get, we need to get this train. Because yeah. it all started with like this one guy phoning. Well, it didn't start with it, but like the one guy phoned the station master is like, your fucking train just left me at the station and it didn't even stop. And we got to wait like a week for another one. What the fuck is this shit? And then from there, that whole side that whole side uh, plot uh, kicks off. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun to see just everybody actually making kind of reasonable decisions, and the government's like, well, we'll just derail the train, and they try to, and it just doesn't work, because we already know this train can off-road. Yeah, it's great. 
Uh, very, very highly recommended. And we won't talk anymore about it because it's one we'll definitely do an episode on at some point. Uh, we also watched Ghost House, uh, which is from the same screenwriter to some extent as uh, the same dialogue writer. Oh, OK. Uh, and is directed by Umberto Lenzi and was released as La Casa 3, which is it, it was released as a as a sequel to Evil Dead. Oh, yeah, it was going to be Evil Dead 3 in um, Italy. In Italy. <laughs> yeah. And it's a combination of Evil Dead and Poltergeist. Like it's stolen a lot from both of those. But uh, as we were watching, we were it was Don't Go in the House, the movie. <laughs> they keep. So th- this is a haunted house that doesn't trap anybody inside. They just keep going in. Yeah, they just keep going in because there's things that they want to do in there. They want to take a shower. Or they're just bored. Well, someone's cold. Yeah, like the, they're all camped outside the house for all these different reasons. But they keep going inside the house. Don't and fucking go in the house. Yeah, just don't go in the house and you'll be okay. But they keep going in the house and dying. It, <laughs> and it's like at the very end of the movie, finally the house locks somebody in. And I'm just imagining it's like the house is like, I gave you so many chances. I gave you so many chances to get the fuck out. Uh, so it's it's no, nowhere near as good of a movie as Beyond the Door 3, but it's it's kind of fun. It's silly. It's kind of fun. It's it's reasonably well made. It's Umberto Lenzi, who is a pretty big action guy more than a horror guy, but he made some great horror ones. I like he did a Nightmare City, which is one of my absolute favorite zombie movies. But yeah, not as good as Beyond the Door Three for sure. Yeah, these guys have horror movie plot stupiditis. Everybody does. Yes. Yeah. Every Everybody. single character. <laughs> just keep going in the house. Just just don't do it you got a camper just sleep in your camper drive your camper away from the house (laughs) don't go the get away from this fucking house no don't go in the house stop going inside and like one guy who goes in the house is just like a hitchhiker that had annoyed them earlier and then he shows up again and is annoying again and then he goes in the house and they later find his dead body (laughs) yeah yeah they're like at this point, well, they already know the house is haunted, but they don't warn him. Because no, the idea of not going into the house just doesn't occur to anybody. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to go in the house. you got to go in the what house, What are you doing man. outside? Go in the house. <laughs> go in the <laughs> Check, Dude, this house is haunted, man. Check it out. Oh, man. What do you think will happen when I take a shower in the haunted house? Oh, fuck, it's blood. Ah, it's the blood again. Damn it. Uh, and one other one we watched, uh, among others, we, we also watched Al Adamson's classic Dracula versus Frankenstein. I feel like I have seen this before at some point because we talked about this, but I definitely recognize their Dracula. For sure. But I don't remember their Frankenstein. And I feel is, like you would because he looks I, like marshmallows. It is the worst Frankenstein you will ever see. It's like if somebody took... A Michael Myers mask and just left it out of the sun for a decade. It looks really melty. I mean, he really does look like if you were cooking a marshmallow over a fire and you kind of dropped it into the ashes a little bit. <laughs> and you <laughs> just made a look... face out of that. It's like, yeah, he drops a, 
it's like yeah you pick up your dropped marshmallow it's like hey it kind of looks like there's a face in here and that's the frankenstein yeah that's that's your horror movie character dracula and frankenstein aren't really very much a part of the movie until the end it's all about this one doctor and well dr frankenstein who well he is dr frankenstein yeah he's styled after colonel sanders and he just lives in a dark ride on the santa monica pier (laughs) (laughs) and he's got this whole secret laboratory underneath and lon cheney jr is his uh henchman who just like axes people all the time randomly that's another thing like that's that's why i think i've seen this movie before because i remember him too the lon cheney but, stuff yeah yeah but somehow i don't remember the frankenstein so weird but that could be because i'm for i wonder if it's only that i only saw part of this movie and frankenstein is barely in it it could totally be uh because You'd think Frankenstein would be killing all the girls, but no, it's Lon Chaney Jr. Frankenstein, I don't think he kills any humans. I don't remember. Um, he probably does. No, I think he kills a couple police officers at some point. There, there's no, a part where okay. he's sort of off on a rampage, and then ultimately uh, he and Dracula need to get in a fight. The at, Like at the very, very end. But like... That's like the last 10 minutes, maybe. And up until then, Frankenstein kind of doesn't do anything. He's created. um, He goes wandering around and. Yeah, he doesn't. I'm pretty sure somewhere in there he kills a couple people, but I don't recall how it relates to anything there. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how that falls in. Uh, But I I also like that. uh, it's got Angelo the Dwarf from Freaks. Uh, who, oh, yes. Who does his eating money trick. And then uh, he has one of my absolute favorite cinematic death sequences, which is so funny. <laughs> oh, I just remembered it. Just an incredible payback to hubris because, like, he's like, you'll get yours, you'll get yours. And he's cackling and taunting it to them. And then he falls off a ladder onto an ax that he was holding <laughs> head first. <laughs> yeah. He, he tripped and fell and landed on his ax. Just really great. I, and uh, Frankenstein, like Dr. Frankenstein's uh, death is also hilarious. <laughs> oh, how did, how, yeah. I, I don't uh, quite remember how he goes. Uh, well, he's in his wheelchair and he, it it like gets sent spinning and he it's it's very slapstick he crashes into a guillotine and his head gets caught oh off. yeah right right <laughs> so this movie Alan there's a bunch of really uh, fun death scenes like that's not even all of them <laughs> no 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 um yeah al adamson who did cinderella 2000 that we covered probably a couple months ago now yeah I think uh, so. it's that very much a lot of stuff isn't related to a lot of stuff movie. Yeah, it's just what would be entertaining here? Let's like, do that. <laughs> yeah, there's this whole thing with like a weird Scooby gang who I'm not sure what their deal is, but they keep going into the. That guy has the, one of my favorite bits. Like, yeah, it, so our, our, our heroine is searching for her lost sister who's been kidnapped by Frankenstein, who he's 
decapitated and put her head back on so she's fine but she's in a tube for now <laughs> this is a, it's this sort of plot where and this and this and this and this the like you just keep unraveling wire until you get there uh but she meets up with a guy after she gets dosed by Russ Tamblin and she <laughs> oh yeah Russ Tamblin is in this <laughs> But she meets up with this guy, and he has these weird friends, and those are the Scooby Doo gang. But like that, the one dude who who like is the the main guy, like the main secondary guy, the first guy we see who to go into the dark ride earlier, uh, and he's like. He he sees, oh wow, man, a tire. He's like, oh, don't start with this shit again. He's like, this has meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Some good hippie hijinks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love, I I absolutely love Dracula versus Frankenstein. It's one of my very favorite. I I watch it absolutely every year on in October. It's so good. It's a very good bad movie. It's it's a legendary bad movie. It's just so unusual. So uh, let's let's move on to Starman, which I, I would say just to start off, I would consider it a mirror film to The Thing, and consciously a mirror to The Thing. Um, in in a way, yes. It's um, I think specifically, and I think that's the direct intent. Oh, okay, okay. So like it's it takes place in a populated area in a warm area. Uh-huh. It's friendly, the alien is friendly and benevolent. There's romance. Uh the ending is hopeful because it sees promise in humanity and the aliens see promise in humanity. Uh nobody it's, it's kind of, dies, I don't think. Nobody dies. Uh and like I I kind of feel like it's Carpenter going, "See, I can do this stuff." just more fun the other way. And then he went back to doing the other way the rest of his career. Cause he never did another movie like this. Uh, I'm, this movie works, but it didn't hit like the other ones did. I get that. Like for me, it, it surprisingly did, but only because it was such a curve because I'm used to the much more nihilistic take of all of the other ones. Yeah. And this is notably one of his least seen films, even though it was probably his most critically successful. Uh, this was the only one that got an Oscar nomination. Uh, Bridges was nominated for Best Actor this year. Uh-huh. Uh, but he lost to, uh, I think, F. Murray Abraham for Amadeus. Good movie. I haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, about uh, Mozart and Salieri. He, uh, F. Murray Abraham is Salieri, a, a more mediocre composer is the concept that he's at the time much more successful but kind of historically seen as a mediocre footnote whereas mozart was less successful and more kind of indian underground but also just a really insufferable human being <laughs> okay cool it's a fun movie it's really interesting right on so starman uh we open with the voyager 2 probe welcoming aliens yeah so this is a so for those who don't know, uh, back in whenever we sent up, we, I wasn't born. I didn't do it. Sometime uh, in the seventies. NASA, I think sent up this probe that was just supposed to go into deep space. And it has all these, um, recordings and photographs and stuff of life on earth and like messages in different languages so that if aliens ever find it, they'll be like, Hey, 
Cubans, let's go uh, make first contact. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens at the start of this movie. Yep. So the alien goes to Earth, and then the uh, U.S. Air Force does exactly what you expect them to do and shoots it down. Yeah, it turns out they're not quite as welcome as the record made them think. Uh, so the the aliens uh, first we, we the alien appears as a ball of light, and and comes to well I guess first we're introduced to Karen Allen, uh, watching her home videos and just feeling bad about herself and like why am I doing this to myself watching these? Yeah, yeah, because it's watching videos of her and her husband who has passed away i guess must have been pretty recently it seems to be like i would say semi recently like she's obviously grieving but it's not the the wounds are not fresh you know yeah um but you know obviously still an issue and her ex-husband or her husband who has died is uh, played by jeff bridges uh, and so when the alien comes, it's there. All of these photo albums and this reel of film is out for it to look at, and it sort of takes in all of that and becomes Bridges, like uses his look. It also notably um, focuses in on the uh, the lock of hair that's taped to the photo album. Mm-hmm. Like it, it which... clones his body. Yes, fully, fully, but <laughs> well, but like yeah. it also uses like it, it uses uh, the film to understand to get his voice and a bit of his uh, way of movement and speaking and kind of just uh, I, I some ideas of his personality, which is interesting. Like it it does sort of study for the role. <laughs> yeah, a really cool metamorphosis sequence. Ah, uh, this was neat um so she finds uh i guess just it starts out as just a baby and then it transforms it doesn't grow up into a human but it trans or like an adult but it transforms into an adult yeah like, like a, it transforms through different age groups but like uh like body horror transformation yeah like a non-gory the thing mm-hmm um it and it's not a slow transformation this takes a few minutes yeah Uh, and and karen allen is watching through the whole sequence yeah uh which means that for about half of the film from that point on she's just kind of catatonic she she's just sort of in shock and doesn't really know how to process anything and sort of doesn't for a long period of the film it just Really interesting. Like both of these performances, Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges are both spectacular in this movie. Mm-hmm. They're both really good. Uh, so so a, a lot of the movie from this point is, or, or, or you you still have stuff on the metamorphosis sequence? Uh, no, no, I was gonna do what you were uh, doing. Okay, so yeah, uh, from this point they sort of just hit the road. Uh, he has to get to Arizona to be picked up. In like what two days was it? Uh, two or three days. He has to get picked up, otherwise he'll be left behind and he can't survive on Earth for very long. Right, and we do gradually see him deteriorating. Like he is dying being on this Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really interesting is these sequences of the road movie 
where it's just the two of them in a car and he's learning how to communicate as a human just to reassure her that he's not trying to harm her. It, it takes a while. It takes a long to, while. It takes a long time because he only really can mimic what he's heard. Um, and yeah. And like tries he's, he's to smart. figure out the language that way. So like he, he does do it, but well, he, it's still he, hard. We learn that he has a photographic memory essentially that he is able to remember everything he sees. He records it and can reaccess it at any time. So uh, getting uh, getting words and stuff like he's just really good at sort of building everything out from there. Yeah, and, and as the movie progresses, we see he gets better and better at communicating. Mm-hmm. In the, in the, the point early where parts, by the end, he's like speaking full sentences almost. Yeah, and they're not as weird sounding. Like it, it is a very interesting technical performance because it's just both the way he carries himself, his body movements, and the very precise way he speaks. Like everything is very heavily over enunciated because he's not familiar with speaking as a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not so, familiar yeah. with moving in this new body either so like the first few scenes of him trying to move around is really awkward looking yeah very alien uh and very effectively alien it's very cool like i think like what the men in black movie was going for with their villain but they didn't hit it not not like this but that was also a comedy right I, i mean like i i figured they probably were significantly influenced by this too could could be could well be um but yeah it's the process of him learning to communicate is very interesting i really like the effect of the map as well how he has like mm-hmm. 3d map of that he just kind of conjures on the the windscreen it's really cool yeah so he's he's got these like marbles mm-hmm. that uh do these special things um Basically, they're his his superpower ammo. Yeah, and they seem to be able to do all sorts of different things because they can cause damage and they can also heal. Yeah, or they can display a map on the windshield. And they can display a map on a windshield. They can do whatever they're needed to do. Very all-purpose marbles. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a part where they go to a roadside diner. Oh, I, I forgot the, the part where he learns about hunger. It's like, yes, I feel a great emptiness inside this. this being. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, you need, you need food. It's, it's like gas, but for your body, ah, yes. let us go to the food station. <laughs> like for just like gas. Cause he also doesn't understand gas. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they have to explain gas and, and it's like, just why fueling. Does, yeah, why does Cardi fuel so soon? Right, because you know he's used to interstellar travel. Like, yeah, really? Are you kidding me? So <laughs> we just started driving. Yeesh. Uh, so at the truck stop, uh, there's uh, a hunter is parked next to. There's a deer on the hood of the car, and he's really fascinated by this. Uh, but she she gets him to come inside first. But he keeps looking at this deer. He's uh, he has a lot it. of questions about it. Yeah. Like, like why? Like why is this deer here? Oh, people hunt it for food. D- 
do deer hunt people for food? No. No. Do people eat people? No. Not usually. <laughs> not usually. Not usually. They're not supposed to. Yeah. And some folks disagree, but you know, let's not get into that. And then ultimately she's trying to leave him here. Like she's still kind of trying to get away at this point. Yeah. He, um, basically like the whole road trip happens because he kind of basically forces her to drive him. It's like, I want to be driven Arizona yeah. somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. And he has a gun that she had, but he isn't like actually he's, trying to hold her at gunpoint. He just has this gun. He has this gun. Um, he's not trying to be threatening, but um, he's deliberately trying not to be threatening, but he just doesn't understand human body language in any way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, he does ultimately demonstrate with the gun that he would not harm her, but she's still just like, she just can't deal with this anymore. Cause it's her dead husband and it's really weird. So yeah. she's, She's going to get on a bus and just leave the car with him and let him drive the rest away on his own. Uh, but then he's still been watching that deer. And while she's working on her plan, he's gone outside and he's uh, started reviving the deer. Oh, yeah. He just straight, straight up unties the deer, resurrects it and sends it on its way to the forest. <laughs> and the guy shows up. He's like, what the? what the hell? Where's my deer? And he says, uh, it, it went that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the guy, guy tries to kick his ass, which doesn't go so great. Yeah. Like he, um, he catches, he gets, he gets hit once and he's like, Oh, that's kind of an interesting experience. Uh, but then, you know, he, he's, uh, he's got ways to fight back. Yeah. He punches the guy out the exact same way that he got punched. Yeah. Uh, and Jenny shows up to help him as well. Uh, or no, she she gets in the car and she makes him get inside and like drive off to get away from those guys. Oh, right. She's she's a really good driver at causing almost accidents. Yeah, uh, she does it a few times. Uh, but here, like she causes the hunter guy who's chasing them to hit a bus and she gets away that way. Uh, there's a few other times she does something like that. Yeah. And like when they're getting away from here as well, I think the police start after them and this is when they start having to deal with like roadblocks and uh, it's, it's quite soon where, uh, where they drive through the tanker notably and lose the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. They drive through this. Uh, it, it's not a roadblocker. It's just a tanker that happened to be down, like but, happened to be turned over on the highway. But they're like Jenny gets shot. Jenny gets shot by the crooked cops. Yeah, the crooked who cops wanted to shoot somebody. One of so, whom. Do, did you recognize these cops? Did you recognize them? I didn't. One of them is uh, Hitchcock from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> huh. I, I think the main cop, the, the guy in the driver's seat, it's Hitchcock from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's also in the next John Carpenter movie. Huh. Oddly All enough, right. yeah. Cool, totally cool. strange. Yeah, it was yeah, like so... Dirk Blocker. I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> right on. 
So yeah, these cops are like, well, we don't want to let the feds handle it. We just want to shoot things. So <laughs> so Jenny gets so he shot. Says, yes, he says something like, well, we're allowed to defend ourselves if it's a life-threatening situation. I think we'll just make a life-threatening situation. Yep. So yeah, Jenny gets shot. Um, he revives her in this... Well, first he drives the yeah he drives the car into a downed tanker, which explodes, and he carries her out with this blue aura. The, yeah, the, then, there's this sphere of force field around them. Yeah, and the next time we see them, they are in this. Uh, They're mo- a mobile home. Mobile home that's being moved, and he is resurrecting her like he did with the deer earlier. Hmm. And then I uh, guess he just leaves. Yeah, he he decides. Yeah, he's decided he's dangerous to her, so he decides to just hitchhike the rest of the way. Uh, but that doesn't work out all that great because they catch up pretty soon at a roadblock because the, the the government is blocking all of the roads to find him. Oh yeah, we haven't really talked about the government here. There's this one. Like, the government's doing what the government does, but there's this one guy who looks like a lone gunman from the X-Files. Yeah, played by Charles Martin Smith, uh, and he's supposed to be a guy from SETI, uh, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah, so he's, like, he's kind of painted as our antagonist, but he really isn't evil at all. He doesn't really do anything bad. He's just the guy trying to catch the alien. But his boss is evil. Um, his boss and most of like and, the people, his boss yeah. spectrum, uh, all of the management above him seem to be very evil. Uh, and they're trying to get a hold of Starman so they can dissect him. Yeah. Yeah. And he just wants to he just wants to learn about them. And eventually, eventually he ends up helping them escape. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the through line, like, his whole background is just him gradually and very, very gradually souring on helping the government with what he's doing. Yeah, and then eventually he basically helps Starman and Jenny and tells the government to fuck off. Yeah. But they still let him through the (laughs) – they still let him into the, like, the uh, – not the crime scenes, but they still let him go into the places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, Jenny catches up to the Starman at a roadblock, and they stow away on a train and have sex. It's a very yep. interesting and weird sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, Jeff Bridges had uh, seen two people having sex on TV as he was just going through channels. And uh, and he'd been kind of fascinated since then. Like he'd brought it yeah. up a couple times. Like, what's up with that? Cause he, he's kind of in, here to experience human reality. And it's like, this seems like a pretty key element of humanity. Uh, so yeah, they have sex and he tells her right away that like, does he tell her right here or is it later? It's after she wakes up from the sex. Okay. So, like, it, he he tells her, like, as soon as he can, really. It's like, um, so earlier they had a conversation about, like, babies, and she's like, no, I can't have children. So here he says to her, I gave you a baby tonight. And I'm just like, uh, you gotta yeah, ask before you do that. Well, 
she's but she's uh, all for it it turns out she is for it because like it it is her husband technically and like he 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 gives more detail than that as well like it will be human uh not alien but it will know some of what i know and it will grow up to be a teacher yeah yeah and and so like, like it's it's not going to be some weird alien baby or anything, and it is the child of her dead husband, who she's grieving for. So you know, and who she did want to have a baby with. Who? Yeah, and you know this this was a fairly mutual decision there. Yeah. Well, I, and because as well, he nobody says, taught him about consent. It's and no, he does and, say like, hey, if you don't want this, let me know. I'll stop it right away. Yeah, that he can totally do that without any issue uh and and i feel like as well that's kind of a, an interesting political statement in, in a way in the movie just uh, the the everything about how this sequence is handled being really really chill <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, i it's all part of just the style should of this have movie. bothered me but it didn't because there's there's the guys there's an alien involved (laughs) there's an alien involved and also there's just kind of a core benevolence to most of what takes place in this movie it's it's very sweet uh everyone seems to be acting everyone who's not the government seems to be acting on uh good behalf of others everyone who's not the government or a redneck right uh so they arrive some rednecks are okay yeah some of them uh, they arrive in Vegas because they overshot Arizona. They went too far on the train overnight. Uh, so he gets to win some jackpots, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, like they, they do the one slot machine and then he says to or she says to him, it's like, OK, don't do this too much because uh, they get really curious when and then he wins the five or half million dollar jackpot. Yeah, while she's already saying it, he's wandered off and won another jackpot, of course. And he just gets to keep the money. They get this Cadillac. They buy a Cadillac to take them the rest of the way, obviously. So you get to go yep. in style. Yeah. Um, and they stop at this rest stop. Where... And it's weird there. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird there. It's abandoned. Uh, they're having a conversation. Turns out they're right. They're actually really close at this point to the crater that they need to go to. And then a cop comes up to him and is like, is that your Cadillac parked out there? And they're and just they're, like, uh, uh, um. and then dozens of uh, state trooper cars pull up to the thing. Yeah, and, and they're uh, surrounded. And then Charles Martin Smith shows up, our, our SETI guy. Yeah, so here's where he actually does something. <laughs> well, yeah, I really like the conversation he has with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's he just wants to like learn what he can about them and like they're telling him like hey he's gonna die if he doesn't get there. Yeah, and, and he's very full of wonder. There, yeah. There's a, a real sense of wonder to a lot of this movie as well. Uh, and he decides he's gonna help them escape. Yeah, so he tells the state troopers like no, it's the wrong guys. Yep. And they're like he just let him go. Really? Like man, sometimes these things happen. Hey, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> description oh no no the guy we want is older yeah so then the uh the head government guy yeah, goes boss. up to this yeah goes to the, the state troopers guy. like 
So where are they? Oh, we let them go. We had to. It was the wrong guys. You let and them go. And he's like super pissed. So he goes to uh, the, the guy and is like, you let them, you're finished. And the guy just takes his cigar and just blows a bunch of smoke in his face. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, fun. And so they do get to the crater, although they're under pursuit by military hot helicopters along the uh, way there. Being shot at a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but interesting then, that they're not going for the kill, though. Yeah, well, I, I figure they they want him intact. Oh, that must be it, yeah. And then and, and they figure also they're going to shoot the spaceship when it shows up and shoot that down. And that's definitely not going to work when you see the spaceship. No. the So the craft is really amazing. It's a really cool effect. It is just a ball of mirror with um, like stars circling around it like the rings of a planet. Yeah, it's like a planet. It's like he can... Their 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 planet itself travels rather than a craft. Yeah, uh, but it's it. Well, maybe I don't, I don't think that is isn't. what it is. But it's it's like it's a craft that kind of has the the composition of a planet or a planetary system. It's very unusual. Yeah, yeah. At this point, Striking. all the helicopters land. They're I guess they're just like yeah. Wow, we we're not prepared for this. We should just stop. It's like, ah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so. So they, they kiss. Starman gives her the last sphere to give to their child. Because he will know what to do with it. He'll know what to do with it. Uh, and he departs. She wants to go with him, but she can't because she would die on his planet. He can't stay because he would die on their planet. Uh, and that's it. It's it's really beautiful. I, I, like, I liked it quite a lot. Uh, did you know there is a TV series that continued the the story? Oh, really? No, I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, eighty six to eighty seven, there was a Starman TV series following the child, and it had Robert Hayes from Airplane as Starman. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like he comes back. Like it's it's the character of uh, it's Jeff Bridges' Starman character comes back, but he's Robert Hayes now. Uh, you know, Ted Stryker from Airplane. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. The one with the drinking problem. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> oh, I love that guy. Yeah, uh, but I, I haven't seen it. I heard it's not great, but that's interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to see some of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on Starman before we continue on to our final po- portion? It's so influential on the help, I have to help an alien get home movie that I feel like I've seen it before, even though I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, it does do a little bit of. It's it's it, kind of weird because so this so E.T. right E.T. and the thing we, we talked a bit about when we watched the thing. Yeah. So this script for Starman and the script for E.T. were both with the same studio initially. And okay. they they did a bunch of test marketing and they're like, which one of these do you think would be a more commercial film? And ultimately their test audiences all figured Starman. So they 
got rid of the ET script. They sold it off and they started working on Starman pre-production. And then okay. ET came out and made billions and billions of dollars. They were like, well, fuck. I mean, we've got this other one that's really close to the same script and we haven't gotten into production with that yet. So what the hell are we going to do with this? So it comes out like six years later and it's also E.T., right? But then so is the thing. The thing is E.T. but bad. <laughs> it's interesting that like Carpenter did like two different uh, variations on E.T. Neither of them anywhere near as successful, but. Yeah, both very interesting. Well, you know, I think I think in a different universe, um, instead of marketing E.T. to the kids and having him on lunchboxes and everything, they could have had Thing. I <laughs> think that would have been very uh, – well, my childhood would have been different. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like E.T. all that much as a kid. Oh, I, I, I thought he don't was even gross remember looking. if I saw – yeah. He looked like a Tootsie Roll. I don't know. I wasn't a fan. Still better than Mac and Me. Oh, absolutely better than Mac and Me. Ew. But I would (laughs) rather watch the Mac and Me movie than the E.T. movie. Maybe. It's been a while since I've watched E.T. And it is a good movie. Uh, Mac and Me is a bad movie. (laughs) Oh, no, it is. Mac and Me is terrible. But it is kind of fun. It's it, it has that iconic scene, the Paul Rudd scene. Paul Rudd's True. not in the movie. No, I I love that sequence though. That scene is amazing. Uh, all right. Uh, so anything more on Starman before we move on to our last part? Um, I'm yeah, I liked the movie, but hmm. I feel that this is not the best use of Carpenter's talents. Yeah, maybe not. Like it's it's uh, definitely very off model for Carpenter. I'm yeah. kind of glad that there is just this one optimistic movie in his filmography, just in the middle. I, I kept waiting for like because it's a John Carpenter, and I've seen a few of them now. I kept waiting for the shit to hit the fan, and it never really does. Yeah, I kept I mean, waiting for the the gut punch. And right. I thought it was going to be the I gave you a baby, but even that was nice. Yeah. I mean, you get the one explosion. You do have the military being uh, the government and military being evil. But otherwise, it's a very optimistic movie. Yeah. But like, yeah, really ineffectively evil, like Mm -hmm. like a Disney villain version of the U.S. government. Yeah, usually uh, the government is more effectively evil in John Carpenter movies, although not super effective. They're they're more just because like in, in Escape from New York or Escape from L.A., the government, they're kind of ineffective and they need to call on people outside of the government to do things that need to be done. It's just usually Kurt Russell, usually Kurt Russell. But then they're they're just not really good at doing anything themselves, and they kind of are stuck when he isn't really willing to do what they want him to do. Which turns out to be pretty often. Yeah. So I, I feel like governments are usually ineffective in, in Carpenter films. It's just this one, they're kind of ineffective in a benevolent way. <laughs> Which is you know sufficiently optimistic for me, I think. Yeah. I think that's about as optimistic as we can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we, we didn't end with uh, the aliens sending an ambassador to the UN, and that's that's good. Yeah, he went home. 
Yeah, he went home. <laughs> That's fine. All right, uh, we're going to head on into part three. Okay, so for our moves in the spooky stacks, uh, I watched uh, a lot of movies. I, I watch a lot of movies in October. Uh, this, this is my big... Uh, and October started midway through uh, our past week, so I've only watched 13 movies since oh, we only last. Only 13. Only 13. Lucky 13. Uh, and I, I started off with our next John Carpenter, of course, Big Trouble in Little China, which you've definitely seen. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Uh, everybody's seen Big Trouble in Little China, I feel. Uh, not at the time. At the time, this one was a flop. Uh, but it's so great. It's it's just such a great movie. Uh, in, in, in Like another one that's not fully horror. It's It's like his take on the horror comedy. But, you know. Uh, Lopin is so cool. The storms are bad. <laughs> Kurt Russell as a sidekick who thinks he's a protagonist is incredibly <laughs> fun. Yep, yeah. Oh, it's it's been a few years since I seen that one. It's such a great time. Uh, one thing that is that I learned about it that's really interesting. It was originally going to be a western and set in the old west. Oh. Uh, but then they decided they wanted to set it in the modern day. And really, the only thing that they did was just change a little bit about the sequences outside of Chinatown. Because it, it was it's otherwise pretty much the same. It's just Jack Burton comes into town on a truck instead of on a horse, right? Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Because, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all magic and stuff. Magic and swords. and yeah, It's fun. Uh, I also watched Mandy. I always watch Mandy on September 30th for the past few years, ever, ever since it came out, when I saw it in theaters on September 30th. That's a good one. I love that I, movie. I fucking love Like, we saw that in theater together, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, just amazing look. Just every shot looks like it could be the cover of a pulp novel. Uh, I love the Christian cult, that they are specifically Christian rather than satanic. And Nicolas Cage, given uh, given a Nicolas Cage performance, it's, it's like the peak Cage Renaissance performance. I feel like it's it's the really definitive one. Uh, he he's doing a lot, but it's never excessive. Uh, it's it's perfectly in tone with the film. Uh, also, a great appearance with Bill Duke as his buddy, who gives him the crossbow, the beast, or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, and just the design, everything about it. I love the soundtrack. Like the score is totally incredible. It's one I listen to a lot. Just awesome. One of my like probably my favorite movie of the past five years or so. Nice, nice. Uh, I also watched a movie called Point of Terror, which is I think it's it's not a TV movie, but it feels really tv movie-esque i think it's got a lot of tv actors and it's made by a guy who mostly made tv stuff so it's a really soap opera-y horror movie like so soap opera it's mostly just a soap and not horror oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it has really cool lighting it, it's very heavily influenced by mario bava and it's very picturesque it's just it's also really really soapy and it's Kind of almost more about marital infidelity than much of a horror plot. Oh. Uh, I also watched Alone in the Dark, which I, I told you a bit about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Not to a, be confused with the uh, with the Terror Reed Uva Bowl epic. No. Yeah. Uh, epic. This, yeah this this one's not based on a video game. Uh, it's a very early slasher movie from I think eighty two eighty two, uh, with Donald Pleasance as an eccentric guy who runs a mental institution. You know he he's got interesting notions uh and he's got four really dangerous violent inmates there who are maximum security but all of their locks are electric and there's a blackout and all four (laughs) of them get out uh during a blackout uh and right before this their new doctor has shown up and he's played by barkley lieutenant barkley from tng Uh, i don't know this guy from anything else (laughs) Uh, and they think this guy killed their previous doctor and took his place, so they go hunting for him. Uh, uh, it's, it's it's quite good. Uh, it's got a really good cast. Uh, like in addition to Pleasance, you've got Jack Palance and Martin Landau among the the bad guys going after them. It's got solid Tom Savini special effects. Yeah, it's it's really solid. A uh, one okay, I had cool. never seen before. Uh, I also watched Maximum Overdrive. The Stephen King directed classic, his one and done. You know, evil trucks. Yep, evil, evil semi trucks. Uh, just want to kill everybody. Well, it's uh, all, all machines. All machines revolt. Uh, soundtrack by ACDC. They wrote the song "Who Made Who" for it, which I feel is oh. one of their best latter day tracks. I'd, I'd say my favorite post nineteen eighty ACDC song. Hmm. I don't like much acdc at all but that's yeah, not that's here totally or there fair. that's that's completely fair <laughs> like i said that's that's my number one post 1980 and i don't have a lot that would rival it thunderstruck's all right <laughs> but it's pure king and pure cocaine just so coke fueled so crazy the effects are um, unbelievable at times there's a lot of really impressive stunt work uh it, it really scarred me as a kid because uh, that there's a sequence at a baseball park, right, with the kids, uh-huh. and it's initially kind of humorous, and the the coke machine shoots out uh, a can and gets the coat coach in the crotch. Oh yeah! <laughs> but then he falls down and gets him in the head and kills him. <laughs> it's a really gross can wound on his head. Ooh. And I then think I remember that. And then a steamroller comes through the fence on the other side and crunches a kid it's totally incredible and what i i initially saw it as a kid when i was very young i'd rented it on vhs and that scene was so horrifying to me that i shut it off and didn't finish watching it until years later <laughs> i love the movie now it's one of my go-to annual horror movies <laughs> it's just nice, completely nice. ridiculous it's got yardley smith in it the voice of lisa and she's very annoying <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. I I've seen this too. I don't remember having any strong feelings about it either way. I've really grown to love it over time. Just the audacity of how lunacy it is, how how loony it is all the time, and it's got a really interesting cast. Like just a deep bench, uh, like Emilio Estevez as well. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. There's uh, uh, Frankie Faison from The Wire. Burrell is in it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. People, yeah, it's just, it's not great, but it's a really fun time. But 
really everything has somebody from The Wire. That's true. I, I have actually seen Burrell in, I think, three different things in the past week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the past week? Yeah, at least two. He's in at least two of the films in this list. <laughs> wow. Uh, I also watched One Dark Night, which is... So it's it's one of many horror movies about a, a sorority initiation stunt. Well, I guess it's not really a sorority in this one. It's just like there's these three girls who wear cool jackets and they're a clique and they're going to let this other girl in if she spends a night in a mortuary. Okay. But like a psychic vampire has been interred there recently and he gets awakened and there's purple lightning and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, man. On Wednesday, the psychic vampire is supposed to wear pink. It's, it's not, it's there's not a lot of not a lot that happens in it. It's it's a very ambient late night kind of uh, low key horror in a weird sort of way. It's got Adam West in it, but he does nothing. Oh, <laughs> like I don't even remember. Don't get Adam what, West if you're not going to have him do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what he was usually hired to do and what he was looking to do in most movies in this period, though. Uh, maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's it, I, I had put on the wrong movie, as it turned out, because I was thinking of a different sorority initiation stunt. And when it, I started watching it, it was about like half an hour. And it's like, oh, it's spending a night in a mortuary. I thought this was the spend a night in the mall one. <laughs> shopping mall no no a different spend a night in a mall horror movie uh <laughs> which turned out to be that i had forgotten it was the initiation so i watched that the next night oh, okay uh and so this it has a really slow first half but it's it, it uh i i just love the spend a night in a mall genre <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even like it's not a real mall or it's it's a place called the I think it's the Dallas Trade Market or something. Uh, and it's just this huge wholesale place, but they dressed it up as a mall. So it's this really gigantic super mall uh, that, you know, the main action takes place in. Right, uh, right. And it's fun. It's a slasher in really gigantic mall overnight. Uh, but it is really slow getting there. Like that first 45 minutes are a little bland. <laughs> All right. Uh, I also watched American Werewolf in London. Yeah. One of my favorites. Even though I only saw classic. it once. <laughs> so goddamn good. I mean, Landis, you know, he was pretty solid in this this era. The the movies he put out were great, even though uh, not such a good dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, but I, I kind of feel like American Werewolf is directly prodding the video nasties and Furman because like he shot it in London. It's got a lot of really outrageous gore. The climax just goes completely over the top. There's I like, I don't know. I kind of feel like he was going like, eh, you, you, you outraged about these video nasties. How do you like this one? This one's set in London. <laughs> Suck on this one. That seems like his sort of thing too. I, I kind of feel like be. that's the point. It's such a great movie. Uh, just amazing. The the technical effects are unbelievable. Like the 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 werewolf transformation. Uh, sorry, oh, the, it's the, legendary. Yeah, the werewolf transformation just unreal. So good. 
And I like what I was surprised by on this watch is I'd forgotten just how chaotic those last 15 minutes are, just how much goes wrong and just the people getting run over and crunched in uh, Piccadilly Circus when just there's a huge car pile up. It's great. Uh, one we watched uh, when you were asleep on Sunday. I saw some of it. Is Suspiria, uh, which is a masterpiece. Just so colorful. Oh, the colors. Oh, the colors. And the and the score. hurt my eyes. It's it's very bright. It's, yeah. it's very intensely colorful. Like it's that yeah. deep, that uh uh, what you call it, uh, Technicolor, that very mm-hmm. rich Technicolor. Uh, and I love the score as well. You know, just the whole dreaminess of the witch house. I love it. I also watched two of the films from Vinegar Syndrome's televised terror box. Uh, so first one is, Are You in the House Alone? Which is like uh, just after Halloween, like the the movie Halloween, that is. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very influenced by Halloween, clearly, uh, and it's a high school stalker rape drama where like so the opening sequence, there's this girl who has been raped and then it flashes back to, I guess, like the couple months previous and just the stalking going on uh, to slowly reveal who it is. And then for like the last 45 minutes, it goes really crazy as they decide how to deal with it now where it becomes much more interesting uh it it was kind of not super great when it's just that early part where it's we're waiting for the other shoe to drop which kind of feels feels uncomfortable but it's pretty great after that uh and what i found most interesting is it's kind of just all men are creeps the movie because it's like fair well because it's it's a whodunit so yeah you know, we know she gets raped, and then we're spending the next forty-five oh, minutes. Oh, so we have, so every one of these people has to be a potential rapist. Yeah, it's like, ah, is it her creepy new boyfriend? Is it her friend's creepy boyfriend? Is it her creepy teacher? Is it the other creepy teacher? Is it her creepy dad? Is it her de- her friend's creepy dad? Like every guy in the movie is suspect. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, this movie is just every guy is a fucking creep. Uh, very young Dennis Quaid in it, which was interesting. Oh, wow. It's like uh, 78, I think, or 79. Uh, and it's a TV movie. Uh, all of, like both. This is a, a set of uh, made-for-TV movies. So it has that very soapy flavor to it. Ah, uh, yes. That soapy TV movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also from that set, I watched the calendar girl murders uh which stars tom scarrett and sharon stone uh circa 84 so before sharon stone was all that well known uh and it's kind of a knife plus heart kind of plot again it's it's models of a nude calendar being killed off one by one uh and it, it is it's it's like the tv version of a giallo like the the 80s American TV take on the Giallo style, which was interesting. Like I yeah. I, I was I was pretty impressed by it in a weird way. Like it's it's silly, uh, but you know it, it goes some weird places. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a lot of fun with it. it. It's 
it's corny and again like like the other one it's very soapy like there there's a very distinct flavor to uh tv movie writing i don't know what it is okay cool cool uh another one i watched is scary tales uh we watched one of the shorts when uh, we were there on sunday i don't know if you were f- awake for that one it's the dude who looks like car cat <laughs> oh i'm not sh- oh no i wasn't <laughs> it's, it's it's a shot on video horror anthology made in baltimore for no money zero money <laughs> it's 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 a similar budget level to phobe oh boy uh, so it's it's three different tales the first one uh, I, I really love the delivery. It, it, so e- between or to introduce each sequence, there's like this devil or not, not devil. Uh, it, it's like a grim reaper figure with surrounded by children and just like this little smoky environment. It's clearly just the same loop that they play every time with just different words dubbed over it. <laughs> nice. I love it. Uh, and because something happens when a man finds a necklace, but it wasn't just any necklace. It was Satan's necklace. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy's out metal detecting and he finds a necklace and puts it on and it makes him turn into Satan sometimes. Like horns grow out of his head and he gets angry and violent. Okay. Uh, and yeah, he, he kind of looks like car cat. It's <laughs> like, he's a cosplayer for Homestuck. Uh, so that one's kind of fun. Uh, we were watching that or, uh, Tony and I were watching that and he's like, enough, turn it off. <laughs> he couldn't take any more of it. Uh, but the other two, I also watched, uh, the next day and they're a lot of fun as well. So the second part is sliced in cold blood. <laughs> where right. this guy finds out his wife's been cheating on him and he has a psychotic break and he just goes on a killing rampage and just kills everyone and it's just a series of incredible lo-fi gore effect kills just one after another and nothing else it rules <laughs> <laughs> everything right i want from shitty sov horror uh and then the last part is level 21 about this guy who's obsessed with a video game and he is ignoring everything else in his life and because he wants to get to level 21 and he finally gets to level 21 and it teleports him into the game uh and it's basically like a D dungeon crawler type thing but yeah you know it's baltimore and they had no money so it's just in a field and instead of a midget it's just a guy in a hole <laughs> <laughs> They they just do you know a D and D LARP adventure, but really gory and you know with no money, and it's very fun. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, and last thing I watched is Cat People. Uh, cat People. The, the insane. I'm a cat person. Uh, you're not this type of cat person. Uh, I I don't believe uh, your ancestors were uh, had sex with panthers, presumably. I hope not. <laughs> so that's that's the origin of this film. That's the first sequence. Uh, we see someone who is tied to a tree as sacrificed to the panther god, but the panther god comes to uh, make love to her instead. Uh, and then we cut to the present where Malcolm McDowell is trying to get on get it on with his sister, who is also a cat person, uh, but she's like his long lost sister. Uh, <laughs> 
and yeah, it's it's really really bonkers. <laughs> she uh, so uh, it's Natasha Kinski is the sister. She's the long lost sister, and uh, they're cat people. So like they're literally part cat, and they turn into were cats, or they they will turn into a cat anytime they have sex, uh, and then they have to murder someone to turn back into a human. <laughs> that's that's the plot. <laughs> uh, and uh, Malcolm McDowell is a priest, but he's just really, really, really into sex. So he can't give up sex. So he's still just like going out and turning into a cat all the time and killing people. Uh, but uh, Natasha Kinski is a virgin. But like if if they're the same bloodline, if they're both cat people, they can have sex and they won't turn into cats and have to murder people. So he's proposing that they get married. Um, but but they're brother and sister? Yeah, but like that's okay. the way of their people, apparently. She's not oh. all that into it either, but sort of she is. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and they, okay. uh, she becomes involved with John Hurd, who runs the local zoo. <laughs> it's all right oh it is it is pure bonkers just straight through nothing but now, of course <laughs> i'm picturing old malcolm mcdowell and i forgot that he was young malcolm mcdowell at one point yeah this is sort of in between this is early ish this is 82 so it's like nine years after clockwork orange oh wow i didn't realize clockwork orange was that old yeah 73 i think holy or you know Actually, is it 71? No, I think it's 73. It's either 71 or 73. I should know. It's my literal favorite movie. Uh, but yeah, 71 or 73. <laughs> I know it's an odd number. One of them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's uh, the list. That's the 13. That is a lot of, it's, a lot oh, of movies. And, and I went for a bunch of classics. So I, I watched yeah, a handful did. of major ones in there. But a lot of yeah. ones that you've seen, too. A lot that I've seen. Um I've, I've seen about half of them. The ones that I haven't seen, I'm not. I think I want to try. I want to check out Alone in the Dark. You kind of sold me on that. It, just with cool. the cast. And, yeah, and it's a really it's interesting one. Not Uwe Boll. Yeah, that, that is a big plus. Not that being is a Uwe Boll movie is always a good sign. Yeah, like um, um, people should start putting that on the poster of their movie. Uwe Boll did not have anything to do with this movie. Uwe Boll, not involved in this film. <laughs> uh, all right, so it being the spooky stacks, uh, there aren't really reveals because I'm just kind of pulling from anywhere, just watching whatever horror movie I feel like watching at any <laughs> given time. So there are new things added to the list because we've kind of shuffled stuff when we had our watch this weekend and some stuff's been moved around. So there is new stuff on there, but... I don't know if I want to do any overall introductions, but I can give any information you might have or in any information that you might want to know about them. All right. Well, I'm looking at our list here. Um, I still want to do Halloween, but I don't want to do it this time. I dig. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's 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 going to get done. We've, oh, for sure. We've kind of committed to it at this point. Yeah. Uh, now, oh, I just saw Tetsuo Body Hammer. 
So that's the, is this the next Tetsuo? That is the next Tetsuo, and I would say that's certainly a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking at like okay, I clicked on the uh, thing. I'm looking at the uh, banner image on Letterboxd, and it is a dude in a what looks like a VR thing with a machine arm being jabbed into his shoulder, and he doesn't look happy about it. Yeah, all right, I'm into this. All Let's right. Let's Tetsuo 2. I'm totally in because I have never watched the second one. I almost watched it immediately after watching Tetsuo 1. I know, it's unreal. Like, the only reason I have not seen it is because I never had a copy of it before <laughs> this this set. All uh, right. I've been holding back, but yeah, totally. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I wonder if... I can't wait to see if this is going to be, like... Well, we're all going to find out. We're going to find out. I'm excited. Indeed. And it does have like it's the same director and it does star him in it again as well. So I it might be the same character again uh, of Ooh. like he's the rust guy in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. OK. That'll cool. be interesting. I think that'll be pretty cool. I think it uh, will, too. All right. Uh, so next week in the spooky stacks, spooky. Uh, <laughs> we will be watching Alone in the Dark and Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer. That's uh, just a cool name. Body is a pretty, Hammer. That is pretty cool. <laughs> is his hammer a body or is, is his body a hammer? Probably leads him to turn into like a jackhammer. I'm thinking yes. <laughs> <laughs> it could Something happen. Like Okay, uh, well, thanks everyone, and uh, keep watching the stacks. <laughs>